welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. If you've been around here a while, you probably had an expectation to see Pastor Jim. And I know what it's like coming to church, and when the pastor doesn't show up, you're kind of like, oh, who's this guy? (laughs) Uh, For those of you that I do not know, uh, I am not the lead pastor. Uh, My name is Jade Molina. I'm the director of men's ministry here at Atmosphere Church. Uh, Pastor Jim and his wife Tara and their entire family, the Cruz family, uh, they needed a day off. They needed to just get some rest and hang out and be with each other, and so uh, I said I'd fill in for you, and Pastor Phil's here, and the rest of the team is here to serve you guys, but sometimes we need to give our pastor and their family a rest, so we're going to do that today. Uh, with that being said, we are going to continue in our series that we've been in. Today's actually the last day in the series of Nehemiah, which is Live a Better Story. And today we're going to focus on Nehemiah chapter 6, which is about finishing well. So if you have a Bible with you, one of these things, you know, or your phone. You can access it there. Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. And while we're doing that, I, uh, I, got, I got a question for you. How many of you have some projects around the house that you've started, but the uh, remnant of the unfinished aspect of those projects is still laying around the house? Anybody have? We got some hands in the back. Oh, yes. Dudes, fellas, I know I'm one of you. You know, you probably got some stuff laying around. Uh, We all have that. We all have stuff that we start or projects that we start that we don't always bring to completion. And there are reasons why. And in Nehemiah chapter 6, we're going to do a deep dive into what are some of those reasons and how do we overcome the things that hinder us from finishing projects, especially maybe finishing well the things that the Lord calls us to. So with that being said, we're going to dive into Nehemiah 6. The way I like to do things is I like to take a bigger chunk of Scripture, dive into it, read it, get the big overview, and then back up and do a little piece by piece. So we're going to start Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read through it, and then we'll, then we'll come back to it. So follow along. When word came to Sanballat and Tobiah... Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. They said, hey, come, let us meet together in uh, one of the villages, you know, on the plain over in Ono. Now, what's interesting about this is that they weren't this nice to him before. They, 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 they were really pushing back on him, but now they want to meet with him. That's interesting. But they were scheming. They were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on 
a great project, and I can't go down to meet with you guys. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Then, the fifth time, Samballot sent his aide to me with the same message, and his hand was an unsealed letter in which this was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. Well, maybe Geshem was like Rabbi Google, and whatever Rabbi Google says is true. (laughs) Maybe that's Geshem. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. Well, what's interesting is they're pushing back on him, but it's the king that let Nehemiah go do what he's going to do. Verse 8. I sent him this reply. Nothing like, like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking that their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed. And I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Elul on the Jewish calendar is about the time of September. I don't know if that, is that the wind or is that my gruffiness? You guys hear that? It's okay. They give me a thumbs up, so I'm hearing things. What's interesting about this is that we all have things that we're trying to complete in life. We all have projects. And many times we fall short of those projects. And Nehemiah is going to challenge us to finish well. My mother is one of these people who starts projects and doesn't finish them. She's a sewer. She loves to make blankets for her grandbabies and her children. But she has a really interesting habit of starting a blanket and then getting completely sidetracked and starting another one because it's exciting for her. And then she'll get halfway through with that one and she'll start another one. If you walk into my mom's sewing room, she's got these stacks of (laughs) half-started blankets. 
And I'm like, Mom, you just focus on one. And she's like, I know, but I just get so excited about all the things I got going on. And I'm like, I'm waiting a year and a half for my blanket, Mom. And it, we all have this pattern in us with things, right? I have a, I have a buddy named Byron. And Byron calls people like my mom uh, a first-thirds person. You know, I, I can do that sometimes. He's, he, what he means by this is that we are people who have a vision. We have a dream. We get excited about something, and that stirs in us, and it causes us to take a step toward that thing, and we do really good at the first third of that project, and then when it gets hard, and we get distracted, and we need to really put in the work to get it done, we, we kind of make up a really good reason why I need to move on, and I'll just finish it later, and he calls that a first thirds person. Sometimes I can do that. But I have another friend by the name of Colby Lewis. Colby Lewis played uh, 10 years Major League Baseball. And before he made it to his first year, I was his strength and conditioning coach. Uh, I spent t- 10 years as a strength and conditioning coach before I ended up moving into the world of pastoral ministry and things like that. So I got these two worlds I live in. But Colby, I was training him, and we were talking one day, and he said, you know, making it to the big leagues is one of the hardest things that I've ever done. I was like, yeah, man, not very many people make it. A year later, he came back after his first season, and he said, you know, I thought making it to the big leagues was the hardest thing I'd ever done. But what I realized is that staying in the big leagues is the hardest thing that I've ever done. And he had an interesting career, and he ended up bringing it to its fulfillment after 10 years. And so these are just perspectives on we all have this start something, maybe not finish, We have people that have done great things, and we admire how they finish, and maybe we have that in our life. But Nehemiah has something to teach us about this, that we all have our day-to-day lives. What I love about Nehemiah, Jim talked about this last week, is that the book of Nehemiah is this really cool thing where we have the spiritual life. You know, we come to church, and we get filled up spiritually and, but Nehemiah says, okay, we got to match. We have to fuse that spiritual life with the day-to-day practical. When you're filled up, what do you do after that? How do you go to school, you young folks? I see you guys. How do you go into school and get your homework done and get all the stuff going on in your lives and the relationship stuff and the demands of the professors and the family dynamics? And you, you know, your spiritual life needs to fuel that, and then your day-to-day life needs to be fueling the spiritual life. They, they should fuse together. And Nehemiah does that really well. But we also know people that have done something really well in their life, and somehow something went wrong, and they made some bad decisions, and the end of whatever it was they were doing, their life or this project, went south. Does anybody know anybody like that? Maybe you got it going on in your own life. I don't know. I've got some messiness where I was going in a direction. I thought I had it all figured out, and then I made some bad decisions, and it did not go the way that I wanted, and there was some fallout. There was some collateral damage. Well, the reason we're even having this conversation about Nehemiah is because before him, there was a guy by the name of King Solomon. He inherited the kingdom from his dad named David. But King Solomon started off great, but he did not finish well. And because he did not finish well, he left a a, a divided kingdom. After Solomon, the kingdom of Israel became divided. There was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and there were two separate kings, and it was a house divided against themselves. And because of that, 
the people, the nations around them came against them and exiled them. And we're picking up the story with Nehemiah in exile, dealing with the fallout of a man who did not finish well. But Nehemiah is going to change the story. And that's what Pastor Jim has been bringing to us. So you guys ready? We got very pastoral. We have three things we're going to learn from Nehemiah, right? The first thing, we have three ways to finish well. Three ways to finish well. Number one, number one, write this down. Plan for distractions. Let's go back into verse two. Look at verse number two back into the text, right? It says, it says, but they were scheming to harm me. So I sent a messenger to them with this reply. Hey, I'm carrying on a great project and I can't go down why should the work stop while I leave it and then go down to you guys? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. See, Nehemiah, what we we got to remember in the backstory of this, before Nehemiah even took this project on, he ended up getting on a horse late at night, didn't tell anybody what he was doing, and he rode around the walls in Jerusalem just scouting out and reflecting and counting the cost of what is this going to take in order to pull off. And he examined everything, and he knew that this wasn't going to be easy. There was going to be resistance. There was going to be obstacles. There was going to be distractions. And what we see right here in they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers, he had a plan for how to deal with that. The first part of this is that he recognized it. He recognized that distractions will come. Second thing is he took ownership over that. He owned the reality that Look, I've lived life long enough, and I know what this is going to take. I'm going to get distracted. Things are going to come. So this brings a really relevant point for us. How many of you have space in your life where you examine the projects that you're in, and then you examine what the possible distractions are going to be that derail you? Mm. That, that's catching us, isn't it? I would be willing to bet that not many of us actually examine. See, that's what Nehemiah was doing. He took space and time in his day to ride around the walls to examine what he's up against. Now, what does this look like practically for us where we take that spiritual and that practical and fuse them? Maybe this is where you have to get a devoted morning time of prayer, going into your sanctuary somewhere and getting right and thinking about your day and forecasting what's in front of me and how am I going to overcome that and what's my plan? What kind of messages am I going to have to send to the people or the things that are distracting me? What does it look like possibly to take a time of reflection for 10 minutes at the end of the day? to just sit still and examine what went on and where am I going tomorrow and what do I need to do to prepare? What did I learn from today or yesterday? This is the practical meeting the spiritual. For me, I have a morning routine and when I don't do it, I'm derailed. It's during that morning routine that I start thinking about what's in front of me and then I have a plan prepared for what's gonna come. Like for example, when I sit down at my desk to do work, I have an alarm that I set for 20 minutes, sometimes a little different time, and I'm trying to beat the alarm. I have a sense of urgency to get this thing done and stay on task. It's called time blocking. 
And if somebody comes into my office and they're trying to get my time, I just say, hey, man, I got, a, I got 10 minutes left on my alarm. Can I come get you in 10 minutes? And 99% of the time, it's not an emergency. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just come talk to me afterward. I'll forget in 10 minutes, so I write their name down, and then I go see him after 10 minutes. And I've already set that up and predetermined that distraction in the morning. And I learned that from Nehemiah. I think he was predetermining how he was going to handle the distractions when he was riding around the walls and seeing this big task and what it's going to take to get it accomplished. And he offers that to us. So to close this section of planning for distractions, we have to... We have to do a good job of not engaging in the temptations that are trying to grab a hold of us. We can't put the temptations in front of us that we're trying to flee. For example, I love some social media. I like it. I like looking at Instagram. But man, it can get a hold of me. So I have to have time frames at which I do that. I have to set boundaries because then it becomes a distraction. I love some YouTube. How many of you guys like YouTube, going on, watching videos, learning stuff? How many of you guys have ended up over here on the side, and you get like four or five, and like, how did I end up over here? I was looking for this, and now I'm over here, right? Eat. This happens to us. Books. I love books, but they can become a distraction. People. Pastor Jim says this. He says, if a good thing keeps you from doing the great thing, if the good thing keeps you from doing the great thing, then it becomes a bad thing. Mm. If a good thing keeps you from doing the great thing, it becomes a bad thing. So preparing, having space to think about our distractions and then having a plan for those. So that's, that's step one on how to finish well and how to bring something to a completion. Number two. Number two is live and speak from God's truth. We live in a world that says you got to, Pastor Jim and I talked about this the other day, says you got, you got to speak your truth. Well, your truth might not be right. Your truth might just be subjective. Does it align with, with the truth, morally, what God's calling you to? Now, what we see in Nehemiah, let's look back at uh, verse 6, or excuse me, verse 8, chapter 6, verse 8. It says, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. The reason that Nehemiah could know this is because he had that space where he had relationship with the Lord. You can tell that he put in the work. He's leaned in on who the Lord is and what the truth is about this circumstance so he could identify and discern what was not true. So the first thing is, is that he was able to identify a truth that was outside of himself. The next part of this is they were all trying to frighten us thinking. So they were trying to instill a belief that, hey, you guys, I know you're working on that, but your hands will get too weak for the work and, and you're, gonna not, you're not going to be able to complete this. That's a lie that's being spoken into this project that Nehemiah has. And he has a choice to believe in it, but he's rooted in something bigger than himself. So he's able to create words in his mind that say, no, that's not true. He's able to identify the lie. And then the next thing here is, look what, he, look what it says. It says, but I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. 
That's the source of the truth. The prayer is the connection into the knowledge of the truth. How could he know this and have spiritual discernment? Because he was connected. How did he get the spiritual discernment? It was through prayer. It was the access to power. And the power was in the Holy Spirit. You know, there's something very interesting about what Jesus does. You ever know, how many of you guys have read scripture and you, you've heard Jesus say, truly, truly, I tell you. You ever heard that before? Or where he says, uh, he says, very truly, I tell you. And then at the end of that statement in scripture, there's always like, amen. Anybody ever heard that before? Can you say amen? Amen. Well, here's what's fascinating about both the Greek and the Hebrew language is that the word truly, the way it's used when Jesus opens a statement, it's the word amen. It's amen. And when they close the statement, it's the same word. But we don't get that when we read it in English. It's amen, amen. When it's used at the beginning of a statement, it's saying, I'm declaring a truth that is bigger than any of us. And then when somebody says, amen, at the end of it, they're saying, I come into agreement with that truth. May it be so. I agree. And that's what Nehemiah has done. He has come into agreement with what God says is true about him, about this project, and he's able to make an agreement with it to have strength and power in it. And he's able to live and speak from that truth. Tell you how practically this happens, uh, my daughter. My daughter's 22 years old, her name is Brooke. And when she was a sophomore in high school, she had um, an injury to both her feet. And that developed something that was called CRPS, Chronic Regional Pain Syndrome. And what happened was that just means that her central nervous system and her peripheral nervous system went a little south. They stopped talking to each other correctly. And so she would have this intermittent pain in her life, which ended up leading to an autoimmune dysfunction, which ended up leading to social disconnection, which ended up leading to depression. And we dealt with this for a long time. And then finally, we got a good diagnosis. We ended up meeting a doctor that helped us. And what happened was we started to step into a new space of taking one step at a time and living in what God said about this. We went to scripture to look at the truth, which leads us into the third way to finish well. And then I'll, and I'll bring you back to what Brooke was doing. What she was doing was, at time, the pain got so much, the social disconnection got so much, she started talking about my depression, my injury, my pain. So she started using language that was first person, and she had no disassociation from this thing, and now it was hers, and she was owning it. And what was happening is that was becoming a lie. That's not true. That pain is not hers. That depression is not hers. Is it real? Yes. But lies only have power to the degree at which we give them. This, these, this story that was playing out in her head only had power to the degree at which she gave it. And we had to work on that. And that was words creating worlds. The words that she was saying in her head was creating a world, but that leads us to number three. And the third thing to finishing well is what Brooke stepped into 
which I'm proud of her. Now she's living out in Texas at a holistic health school, and she's going to be a holistic health coach helping young ladies like her figure this out. And number three is you have to take one resilient step at a time. And we see this in Nehemiah, one resilient step at a time. Look at this, starting in verse number 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehedabel, who was shut in, his, in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God. Sounds like a good thing. Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because the men are coming to kill you and by night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple and save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had, had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Now, so there's something really interesting here that Nehemiah is exercising a step of resiliency. Now, let's define the word resilient. It's not a word we use a lot, but it is something that God has granted us, and we can unlock it. Nehemiah is giving us permission to do so. To be resilient means to be able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. It means you, you, you can recover from hard stuff. It, it's your ability to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. That's resiliency. See, Nehemiah, this sounds like a good thing. Let's go back to the temple. Let's pray. But the way this was presented, that was hiding. Nehemiah had already spent time evaluating. He had already spent time in prayer. He had already got filled up and cultivated in his strength. And now it was time to go do the hard thing and do the work, even though it was going to suck. Because <laughs> it was. The Lord never promised that it was going to be easy, but he promised he'd be with him. And he'd equip him. And so by him taking one step, see, that's what my daughter did. She took one step. There were days she couldn't even get out of bed. I had to go and pull her feet off and set them on the floor. And then she would get up. That was the one step, and that's all she could do for that day. And some of us are in that space. Sometimes, and that's resiliency. It's one step at a time. And I have personally, this, this happened to me just recently. If you live in the community, you, you most likely have heard about the tragedy that happened in Westlake this last week. There were two young boys that were killed uh, as pedestrians or on their scooters, and they got killed. They got hit by a car. Uh, one of those boys, uh, I'm actually a spiritual life director over at Oaks Christian School, and one of those boys was one of our students. He's a sixth grader, and he was in a cohort because we had him on campus a couple days a week, and as the spiritual life director, I had to call all of the parents that are, he was in the class with, and I had to notify these parents that one of their, their students' classmates had been killed. It's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Half of the parents had already heard about it by the time I got to them. But then there were half of them that I had to tell them this for the first time. And I had to walk through this with them. I, I didn't know what to do. I've never done this before. 
All I knew is that I needed to take this power and what I knew from being in the scripture and it was time to get out of the temple and put it into reality. And I had to just take one step at a time. I can't tell you how many times I held the receiver of the phone in my office and I didn't know what to say. I just dialed the number because that's the only step that I knew how to take. And we all have stuff in our life that has either from the past and we don't know how to get through it but you are made to be resilient. But all you have to do is take one step. Trying to take five at one time may be too much. And I have seen God move in our community through a tragedy, and it's been amazing to be a part of. But I wish the circumstance never happened, but it did. And we're called and we're equipped to be resilient. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to land this plane a little bit. I want to share with you a couple stories about Jesus and his resiliency, right? There's, there's these couple stories that are just fascinating to me that teach me something. I love, there, there's a few things I love about Jesus. I hope you love some Jesus too. But one of the things that I love about Jesus is that he could go through hard things and not fall apart. He could go through really hard things and not fall apart. One of the things he did was after he got baptized by John the Baptist, John, the Lord spoke and said, this is my son, in him I am well pleased. Identity in Jesus came right on him. Bam. That's who he is. The very next passage, the devil came and took him out in the desert and tested him. And the first thing he was doing was testing his identity. If you really are the son of man, Jesus, why don't you do this? And Jesus was equipped with the right tools and the right weapons to not let his identity be attacked. He was rude. He had a plan for distraction, and it was the word of God. Second, second story in Jesus is he's in the Garden of Gethsemane all the way now at the end of his life. He's in the garden. He's going to go to the cross, and he's in his humanness and his, and his divinity. And he prays to the Lord. He says, Lord, if it is your will, will you take this cup from me? I don't know what, but there's something about that I love because I'm like, man, Lord, there's a lot of stuff I wish you'd take from me. He wanted that responsibility to be taken from him, and he, and he didn't want it, but he got up and he took one step, and he walked over to his boys who were sleeping, and he, he rebuked them, and then he gathered himself, and then he took one more step back over to where he was praying, and he prayed again, and he said, Lord, I get it. This is your will for me. I accept this cup. And he went to the cross. And that was one step of resiliency that turned into a lifetime legacy of resiliency for us. And that's good news. That's gospel. That is good news. Amen. That came into agreement. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on back up now. And we're going we're gonna to land this plane. If we look at Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 again. It says, so the wall was completed. Nehemiah, through having a plan for how to deal with destruction, through, through his ability to know God's truth and live in it and speak it, he had an ability to be resilient and he would take one step at a time and each step collectively became accomplishment. Last story about one of my children. Um, I've got another child. 
I've got three, my daughter and then my son, Sage, who is in Salt Lake City. He was at the University of Utah, but now he has been collecting unemployment for a year, (laughs) and he's making music, and he just finished an album that he's been working on for two years. It's been a road. And I sent this text to him when when he told me that he had the album done. And he said, learning, I said, son, learning how to bring things to completion as a young guy is a recipe for becoming a successful old guy. You young people, I want to talk to you first. When you learn how to take steps, one step at a time in resiliency, when life gets hard, I'm telling you, it sets you up for success. You will be successful as a resilient human being later on in life. Those of us that have been around a while, we can still continue to grow in this area. So what I love about how Nehemiah closes in verse 16, it says this. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and they lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. We were not made to do all this on our own. Lean in on the Lord. So go ahead and you guys can come to your feet. And we're going to close out our time together. And so what I ask of you guys is just let this music wash you. If, if you're a person that maybe you don't know the Lord, this Jesus guy, this whole story is something new to you, but you were just brought here, I ask that you just open your heart to what's going on inside you, what might be stirring up, and let him speak into you. If you're a person who has been struggling, I'm going to challenge you to lean one step in and let the Lord meet you there to give you that resiliency you need to keep going. And if you are thriving and you're doing well, keep going. Take five more steps. Let this song wash you and bring you alive in spirit. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.